have you ever been in a city or maybe your school or just a community where something was happening that was kind of so big that it just created a stir? Maybe a famous person was around. When I was in college, we went to uh, friends of, uh, some friends of mine, one of, one of my friends, his parents uh, had a home in Naples, Florida, and I remember we were driving around near these cafes and we saw Jerry Seinfeld. And so we just like, it caused a stir in the car. So we kept like driving around because you know, there was Jerry. Nobody else seemed to care, but we did, you know. But one of my um, idols growing up um, in the 90s, 1994, uh, sports idols came to Chattanooga. Does anybody who wasn't here in the first service know who came to Chattanooga in 1994? Not Reggie White. Michael Jordan. Yes, we got it. That Nobody got in the first service. Michael Jordan was, a, was an idol of mine. Uh, I mean, he was, you know, he was just the thing as a basketball player. I mean, I even had the, if you're, if, if you're a sports fan, Michael Jordan wore a knee brace not on his knee. I don't know what he was protecting with that knee brace. And, I wore one of those in my Little League basketball games. Um, uh, you know, it was big to be number 23. Michael Jordan was a big deal. And I don't know if you remember, when Michael Jordan came to town, this city was just ablaze. I mean, it was, Michael Jordan's coming to town. Now, what was interesting, he was coming to play minor league baseball. Uh, and they were playing against the lookouts. And people gathered from everywhere and were hanging out all over any place they could get just to watch him try to hit a baseball. It was amazing. And I remember my friends, I didn't get to go, um, my friends coming back and saying, oh yeah, we saw him, we saw him, you know, we saw him swinging the bat or whatever. And so it was just like the city was just ablaze with that. It was the talk of the town. This morning, as we jump into back into Mark, one of the things we see is that this city of Capernaum was stirring. Something was happening. Jesus, Jesus had been here for less than eight hours and had created quite a stir. In fact, we know that not only in this instance, but as we read throughout the book of Mark, if you're reading along in your Bible reading, we read this morning, in Mark chapter 10, verse 1, getting up, he went from there to the region of Judea beyond, and beyond the Jordan. Crowns, crowds gathered around him again. And I went to the Greek to make sure the word again was in the original text. That this was kind of Mark was emphasizing. He went into another town and again the crowds just gathered around him. Jesus was creating a stir and for good reason, right? I mean, can you imagine being there and Jesus comes into the synagogue and His preaching alone, I think, would have uh, drew crowds and created a stir. He was preaching with authority. He was preaching as one having authority. He was saying a new teaching, things they hadn't heard before. And it was creating a stir. And in the middle of this teaching, a man comes in who's demon-possessed and Jesus cast out the demons. Amazing that Jesus comes into Capernaum and what is on full display is the power and authority of Jesus like we talked about last week. And after 
After synagogue, about noon, midday, Jesus goes to Peter's mother-in-law's house and He makes her well. One of the things that's fascinating, I think uh, kids in particular, I think one of the things we miss when we see that this lady had a fever is we, we miss the miracle here. Back in this day and age, when you had a fever, there was no such thing as Tylenol. There was no such thing of drinking the awful red stuff in the mini cup or putting the pill down your throat and your bob holding your nose so that you swallow the pill. Not that we do that to our kids, just a couple times. And then within a small amount of time, all of a sudden you feel better. No, a fever in this day and age was a big deal. Many people died of a fever because they had an infection. And not only was it just miraculous that the fever was gone, but the way in which He healed her, any of you know if you've had a, a bad fever recently that has put you in the bed, even once the fever breaks, you know how lethargic and tired you are. Jesus, when He healed Peter's mother-in-law, she gets up and fixes lunch. Amazing. What an eight hours of ministry that Jesus has had here in this town. And the town was ablaze with the news of Jesus. The news traveled fast. Look at verse 32. So by the time evening came, when evening came, after the sun had set, they began bringing to Him all who were ill and those who were demon-possessed. There was no Instagram, no Facebook, no Twitter accounts. But Jesus in this city was definitely trending. The Word was out. People everywhere were going and proclaiming, you've got to check this out. Something miraculous is happening. I want you to notice, I want you to notice in this, in this verse, in verse 32, it tells us when evening came. Now, in this day and age, um, Sabbath was on Saturday, right? And Sabbath ended uh, uh, when they saw stars, three stars. When three stars were seen, sun was down, Sabbath ended. And so it's interesting that Mark is telling us here that Sabbath has ended. And I think there's maybe two messages in this for us that God wants us to hear. One of the things that we hear and we learn from this text is that since Sabbath has ended, and it tells us that they were bringing people who were sick, that they were able to carry them and help them there. That they were so steeped in this religious mess that they waited until the sun went down, until Sabbath was over, until they physically brought the sick to Him. The other thing which I am inferring from this is that although the Sabbath has ended, although the synagogue has closed, that the Word of God and the power of Jesus is still on display. And that there's a new day dawning. There is a new day that is here in Jesus. Notice that it wasn't only the, the sick that had come. Notice in verse 33, in the whole city had gathered at the door. The whole town was there. I want to tell you this morning, our, as a family, Casey and I in particular, um, our hearts are pretty, pretty heavy. We had found out earlier last week 
that one of our good friends, 46-year-old lady who uh, we have known for a long time, uh, probably for well over 10 years, um, we met this family at Crossroads, uh, met the mom and two girls. They were really young, the two young girls when we met them. And we, we found out that mom was really, really sick. Uh, unconscious, intubated, um, lungs were hardening, really sick. And Noah, uh, out of his kindness, went with Casey and I down and we met, we met with the family uh, for two reasons. One of the reasons was, uh, you know, they were confused, didn't know really what was going on. And so Noah graciously gave of his time and, and lovingly kind of looked at all the records and really tried to help uh, the family to make sense of what was going on in the course of treatment that should go forward. The other reason was to go and to really just pray that God would heal her. And so that's what we did. And You know, I can't imagine that if Jesus was in Chattanooga, we would have done anything to get her there. Right? I mean, I might have been calling some of you to help me stage a coup to break her out of Erlanger to get her to Jesus. So when you think of these people that were rushing and bringing their sick to Jesus, these were people that were sick and without hope and that were downcast and had been sick for a long time. And as the sick went, so did other people because they were amazed at what is going to happen. What is going on here? And can you imagine the talk of the town? Of maybe Susie who had not been able to walk because she had some kind of ailment or, or, or deformity, and all of a sudden, she comes walking by that evening. Jesus healed her. Or some guy named Bob. I know these aren't Jewish names. But Bob, who's demon-possessed, who's talking out of his head, maybe he's scaring the children because he's going around you know, in a, in a, in a way that's not normal, and all of a sudden, you see Bob sitting underneath or by a fire talking to someone just as plain as day. Can't imagine if you place yourself there what the talk of the town would have been. You know, sometimes people are not who we expect them to be. Sometimes people don't do things that we expect them to do. And I know I'm using some sports metaphors this morning. But I remember when the news broke about Tiger Woods and uh, the incident where he had where his uh, wife was chasing after him with a golf club and uh, where he was not doing well mentally and emotionally. And I remember the shock to the nation because Tiger Woods was the face of calm, cool, collective and who, who had it all together. And then all of a sudden we see this underbelly of what's going on certainly with cell phones and uh, social media we've seen a lot of celebrities and a lot of famous people we've seen them do things that we think are from our perspective are totally against their character because what we know of them is what they have been able to project when they know the cameras are on in fact the idol i talked about earlier michael jordan It was a real disappointment for me when I got to learn more about him and to see what a horrible teammate he was. How he probably had a a gambling problem and a drinking problem. 
how not many people really liked him. He, he wasn't what I expected. What I expected was the, the guy on all the commercials that was just lovable. One of my other heroes, uh, because I got into cycling quite a bit, was Lance Armstrong. And what a fraud he turned out to be. I was with him fighting the doping agency. They're just picking on Lance. Raised millions of dollars for cancer survivors. And it was all built on lies and manipulations. And what's really scary is if you go and listen to some of his interviews, even before he was busted, what an arrogant individual that he is. One of the things that we see in this text is that Jesus is not who I think these people at Capernaum, certainly many of them, he, he, he's not what they thought He was or who they thought He was. In fact, what we're going to see is actually He was much more, but we're going to see Jesus do something shocking here in a minute that I think rattled the city and rattled His disciples. What we see as we go throughout the book of Mark is that people not truly understanding Jesus, who Jesus is until the resurrection. And then all of a sudden they, they begin to understand who He is. But at this point, I want you thinking with me about Him at Capernaum. And He's here, and all the sick and all the demon-possessed are, are, are coming to Him. And I think what we would assume is that there would just be a line and Jesus is going to heal them all. In fact, that is kind of what's going on. Jesus is almost like a miracle dispenser. People are coming, healed, Going, coming, healed, going, coming, healed, going. Look at verse 33 and 34. The whole city had gathered at the door and he healed many who were ill with various diseases and cast out many demons. To what or to whom is the town responding? What do you think the Potential expectations are. One of the things I want to be sure we don't miss. So please hear me when I say this. Jesus is love. Jesus is compassionate. When we see Jesus going into this town and healing people, it's not out of obligation. It's not out of, um, oh, this is what I came to do. You know, just let's get this over with. It, that Jesus saw the sick. He saw the lame. He saw the demon possessed. And He had compassion. And He was moved. And He healed. He acted. This is who Jesus is. And we see this all throughout His ministry. That He had care and concern for the sick and the downcast, and the marginalized. And this continues all throughout His ministry. And so when I see Jesus in this text, not only is He displaying His authority and His power, which He is certainly doing, but He's also displaying His compassion and His love. I don't know if you think about these things. Maybe it's the cynical part of me. But what if we contrasted uh, Jesus this morning with some of the healing ministries on TV? 
send me some money and I'll send you a hanky that's going to heal you. Send in your money and I'll perform a miracle for you. And what is built off of that scheme, that fraud, is that a lot of these guys fly around in these really nice jets and wear these really gaudy suits that none of us would be caught dead in that cost way more than probably every stitch of clothing in our wardrobe. Manipulating people. In fact, it's very interesting to me that a lot of these ministries are called things like Louis Belva Ministry. What a contrast with Jesus. <laughs> what a contrast with Jesus who had all power, all authority, and was moved with compassion, and He healed, not for what He could get, but for what He was displaying. What He was giving. So here's the stage. The whole city's there. The people who are sick are there. It's been 8, 9, 10, 12 hours or so. What do you expect to happen next? Well, we know that it gets through to the next day. I'm assuming that Jesus and the disciples and people who were there slept. Because we get the, the next couple of verses. Look at verse 35. It says, early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. Simon and his companions searched for him. They found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. So it makes sense, right? Get this. Early in the morning, still dark. Jesus is up, goes away to pray. The apostles are up, or the ones that had been gathered already. There's already a line of people. There's urgency, and they go looking for Jesus because I assume, they're assuming, things are going to happen just like they did yesterday, if not in greater numbers. Let's get this thing rolling. This is going to be awesome. Think about it this way. When the COVID uh, vaccines were finally released in Chattanooga, people were driving and getting in line at like 4 and 5 o'clock in the morning. The same type thing is going on here. And what I think is, is interesting is Peter, it says Peter uh, and his companions search for him. And I think Peter, true to form, is taking charge here like, like he did many times uh, throughout what we see in the Scripture. And I'm reminded here, do you remember Peter? Uh, we read this just a couple of days ago, I think, uh, on the, when Jesus was transfigured, uh, that they were there. Again, it was awesome. There was this great thing taking place. You know, he saw, Peter saw that the prophets were there. Jesus is being transfigured. And you remember what Jesus, uh, Peter said that they should do? Let's, let's pitch some tents and just stay here. This is awesome. I think this is kind of what Peter is doing here. This is awesome. Let's get up early and start this thing. You know? It's interesting. They find Jesus praying. And Mark, of course we don't know this here, but when you read the book of Mark, one of the things that you will see is that when Jesus goes away and when Jesus is found praying, what we are to glean from that is that Jesus is going to the Father and He's praying to the Father. And, and, and oftentimes, I think every time in the book of Mark that Jesus gets alone and pray, 
it, it, it is before a, a movement, a, a change. If we were to go to Mark chapter 6, verse 46, uh, this is when the, the, the context here is that Jesus had fed the 5,000. And Jesus said um, uh, in verse 45, and immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side of Bethsaida. While he himself was sending away the crowd, after bidding them farewell, he left for the mountain to pray. And then when evening, when it was evening, the boat was in the middle of the sea and he was alone on the land, uh, seeing them straining at the oars for the wind was against them. And then this is when Jesus goes out and walks on water. But what we are to see is that they are going to another town. They are going to another place and Jesus goes away and he prays. The other place we see him praying uh, in the book of Mark is in chapter 14, where Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. And we know what Jesus is preparing to go and do at this point. Jesus is about to do something unexpected. Again. Again. I want to try to get you to put yourself there. Think what had happened in less than 24 hours. And there were more sick. When we think about this, I want us to think maybe a little more deeply about this. And maybe this is why this part of this became so personal to me. Could you imagine having a friend like our friend who was desperately sick, desperately in need of healing, being there at the house waiting for Jesus to come and heal? The hope. The expectation. I think this account builds to this crescendo, builds to this moment This great and wonderful thing is going on. And here in verse 38, at this pinnacle of expectation and hope, when Peter finds Jesus, notice what he says to him. He says, let's go somewhere else. How do you think the people there probably felt? Disappointed? Frustrated? Confused? Maybe some of them think, thought that his power ran out. Maybe some of them thought, oh goodness, what did did John do to upset Jesus? That he'd go to another town. Jesus was praying. As he prayed, he knew what the will of God was. And he knew that he was supposed to go and there was a purpose in his going. Now, I just want to say, I want to, I want to take a little bit of a parenthesis here and say, sometimes we don't understand. Sometimes we don't get the full will of God. Sometimes we don't understand what God is up to. 
At about 1.30 yesterday morning, a.m., I got a text from Cindy's husband. Casey got a text from Cindy's 22- and 19-year-old daughters that Cindy had passed away. The daughters were there at the bedside, watched their mother, who was their hero, their everything. That's the story of, of Cindy and these two girls is a story of, of God being faithful in the midst of difficult, horrible circumstances, a true miracle. And at 46 years old, these girls were beside the bed as their mother passed. And I just want to confess, sometimes I don't get it. I don't understand. What was interesting is when we were there on Thursday evening and the girls, I guess this wasn't Thursday evening, Tuesday evening, the girls were at our house having dinner with us and they knew that there was a possibility that their mom would not make it because things were not looking good. And it was interesting that the 19-year-old at, at one specific moment talked about that she trusted God's will in whatever happened. Here, in this text, Jesus gives us the reason for Him leaving. Jesus gives us God's will. And we need to pay attention to it. Notice that he said to them, let's go somewhere else to the towns nearby so that I may preach there also, for that is what I came for. And I want to ask you a question because I want us to see the gravity of what is going on. And the question is this, what is the aim of the gospel? What is the aim of the proclamation of the gospel? And what I want to propose to you is that there is no greater miracle than when somebody hears the gospel and accepts Christ as their Savior. It's greater than any miracle that Jesus was performing in Capernaum. You will know this passage, but it's important that we turn there and that we hear the full weight of it of Ephesians 2. Notice this passage. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. We were under God's wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Brothers and sisters, there is no greater miracle that can take place than from a dead person to be brought to life in Christ. The greatest miracle that could ever have happened to our friend Cindy, is that at an early age, she was saved. If she would have woken up and her lungs would have been healed and she would have walked out of that uh, ICU, she would have proclaimed to you, oh, you think that's a miracle. The greatest miracle of all is that God is, Christ is my Savior. I no longer have to bear the wrath of God. 
I no longer have to bear the consequences of my own sins. A week ago, last Sunday, about five o'clock or so, gathered around our kitchen table a group of boys from the age of 10 to 15. One of the families that uh, was there is a family that uh, our boys, uh, Casey and I, have been praying for for a really long time. And through uh, several circumstances, we were able to have this Bible study, uh, which was pretty amazing uh, that this one family wanted to be, these boys wanted to be a part of. And one week ago today, God took a dead little boy and raised him to life. He heard the gospel and responded to the gospel, and now he's been adopted into the family of God. What a miracle. You see, Jesus is not a disappointment. Jesus has not let anyone down like some of these athletic heroes that I talked about. No, no, no. The problem is our vision is too small. And we don't understand the greatness of salvation. That I think we, we forget or we get numb to it. The goal of the Gospel is not to solve your money problems. The goal of the Gospel is not to save you from hardships or sickness or death or to ensure that your kids uh, live a successful life and avoid trouble. That's not the goal of the gospel. The goal of the gospel, the goal of the gospel, is to make you part of the kingdom. And Jesus came, and Jesus proclaimed, "It is here." The power of this miracle. The ultimate love, the ultimate compassion, the ultimate power, Jesus going to the cross. And so we see His divine love in this purpose of I must go other places and preach the gospel because that is what I have come to you. And what I want to ask you is, does this stir you? Does this excite you? Does this type of miracle just do something in you that makes you scurry about in your circles, in your relationships, and become excited about that Jesus is doing something, the Holy Spirit is doing something? And, and I want to confess that I don't share the Gospel and proclaim the gospel as often as I should. But I don't want this to be one of those sermons where you beat yourself up, and you walk out of here guilty, and you go buy a bunch of tracts online and begin to leave them on the back of toilets. That's kind of gross. I want you to be encouraged. You want me to tell you how simple it was around our table? that I asked a 15-year-old to share how he came to Christ. 
And then another one, a 14-year-old, raised his hand and said, can I share also? (laughs) You can do it. And we should be amazed because we see this man Jesus in this text, the authority and the power that He has, and when Jesus was leaving this earth, what did He say? All authority and all power given to you. Go and make disciples. This should excite us. This should thrill us that we are involved in this. Now, Maybe you're asking the question, and it's a good question that you're asking. All right, Lewis, I'm on board, but that announcement BJ gave about these local mission stuff, huh? What, what that? Like, it sounds like in this, this message that what we should be doing is not doing local missions, we should just be preaching the gospel. Let me ask you a question if that's in your, in your head. Did Jesus stop doing miracles? Even when he was being arrested and Peter cuts the ear off the soldier, Jesus, out of love and compassion, took the ear and put it back onto the soldier. Brothers and sisters, love and compassion and mercy, it is who Jesus is. And as we are called to make Him known, the love of Christ should be in our hearts as well so that we are driven to do Uh, acts of kindness and we should be on mission to display the mercy and the love of Christ. And, And the trap that we've fallen in is that this shouldn't be an either or thing. It should be a both and. That's one of the reasons why when we vet ministries, um, here at Signal Mountain Bible Church, that we want to see their mission statements. We want to see that they're in line with the gospel. We want to see that they are gospel oriented people. And there is a danger if under the guise of ministry, all you're doing is meeting felt needs of people and there's no gospel behind it. Now, and I want to say this. um, And and I'm not naming them because it would be bad, especially being broadcast for me to to, to call these ministries out. We have several ministries that we support where... um, because of laws and rules and regulations within which they are operating, they can't exclaim the gospel. So they can't do that necessarily. However, what I want to say is, I have gotten to spend time with these folks, and uh, when you spend any time with these folks, as soon as they are, I'm trying to be careful here, um, outside of the context, it's just all gospel. It's all gospel. It's all gospel. When person in particular I got to spend a couple of weeks with him and I was amazed at how many times the gospel was shared to the guy with the guy at the apartment complex the guy up the road selling this stuff the guy up the road selling this stuff we I prayed more for people in those two weeks than I've probably prayed for people in a long time it's not a either or it is a both and And the goal for us is for us to get involved, for us to love our neighbor, to see our neighbor, how Jesus sees our neighbor, and for us to get involved with some of these ministries. And as we are going, as we are involved, we take this gospel message with us. This is why. This is why. 
we rejoice with great joy when at choices a, a, a couple decides to keep their baby. We rejoice over that. And it is a great act of love to be involved in that process and to love that child, that unborn child, so much that we, we, we rally around. But it's also not it. We also need to love enough to share the good news to meet their greatest need. Our mission at Single Mountain Bible Church is to know Him and to make Him known. And that is why He came, is to make Himself known so that we can have hope. And I am pleading with us that we become more and more like our Savior, that we love people well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I thank You for this word from Mark. It is so rich. It is so rich to consider Your Son. I am blown away. Blown away by the opportunity to see the miraculous happen. Whether it be at our kitchen table on a Sunday afternoon with a group of rowdy boys or to look back over the life of a dear friend and to see the impact of the gospel in a family's life that go through difficulties. God, I pray that we would be a people of the gospel, a people who proclaim your good news. We are so thankful for your son and it's in his name that we pray. Amen. If you'll stand with me. We'll sing the doxology.